And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. My name is Pete Sweeney. I am the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com. Joined once again by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, welcome to NFL OTA season. <laughs> so now we have a season for OTAs as well? Okay. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> it's, it's the Super Bowl followed by free agency. Uh, followed by draft preview, uh-huh. followed by the draft, and then rookie camps, and now we are in OTA season. So okay, the, all right. The shield keeps rolling along the, to make sure that we're talking about the NFL. <laughs> the headlines keep rolling in. The Chiefs will start OTAs next week. So we are joking, but also on this podcast, we are going to ask some questions. That's in segment two. We're going to have our great podcast producer, Steve Serta, join us, and he will add in on the fun Uh, But first, we will go over the news. No reviews this week here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. If you have a review, um, you can leave it on Apple iTunes. We will read it on the show. You can leave a comment. You can leave a question, and we will uh, add commentary to it. So we encourage you to leave five stars on Apple iTunes. Every review helps. I believe you can also, uh, Steve can correct me later, but review on Spotify in some capacity. I don't think there's any commentary on Spotify, but you can like, like us and stuff. So Wherever you can, just please leave us positive reviews. Everything helps here on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Let's get right into the news, John. And this was making the waves, I think, yesterday. Warren Sharp of Sharp Football Analysis, who does really unique coverage of the NFL. I I think his strong suit tends to be analytics and digging deep into teams. And he goes team by team. I don't know how he does it. He covers the whole league in depth. And so it's it's a very impressive job by him. And For Fox Sports yesterday, he ended up doing this article about the rest and how much each team is getting when it comes to the new schedule. And we had highlighted on both the SB Nation network, I know I have on that Monday Football Monday podcast we do, and even on the the schedule release, it seems to be, John, a tendency of let's throw anything as far as fair play out the window. This is no longer a a situation where we're worried about each team uh, getting a fair shake. It is strictly, hey, let's get the best possible games in the biggest possible spots and the rest will fall as uh, it may. And I'll I'll read some notes here. But don't you get that that general feeling, John, that the NFL just simply doesn't care in in that sense anymore? Well, I I don't know if that's true. I I keep thinking about um, what something that was said immediately after the schedule release and the, the, the schedule mavens were giving press availabilities. And one of the things that they said was that they considered uh, every chief's opponent as the, as the, a possibility to be the opening game of the season. Yeah. Well, if that's the case, that means they had at least 17 schedules in their hands that started with the chief's, opening against one of those one of those opponents um, this season because every one of those uh, changes would have affected the rest of the schedule. So I think that some of this is about looking for the right matchups and stuff, and there are some things that just simply fall by the wayside. I don't know that it's quite that they're throwing um, uh, 
things being fair out the window. I think it's just one of many things that doesn't get considered quite all the way. I think they'd rather for it to be fair. And after all, let's for, not forget that the whole thing is designed to be fair from the start. I mean, yes, these issues about rest and and how the schedule plays out, uh, those things can become important. But the basis of it is still very fair. It rotates through the divisions. Uh, you know, you have the draft uh, going the way it does, etc. I, I, I'm not sure I'm willing to go towards they've just thrown it all away. I think it's interesting that these things are these discussions are happening, and maybe over time. Uh, there's something that the NFL can add into their computer programming to improve in years to come, but I'm not, they're, they're still pretty, pretty sold on fair the way I look at it. No, I, I just, I don't agree. I, and I don't, but I want, I want to, I want to be clear here is when I say it's not fair or they've thrown fair out, I am not sitting here and saying, this is the conspiracy against the Chiefs and the Eagles. <laughs> right, the NFL right, made yeah, it not yeah. fair on purpose. Right. I just think they're prioritizing game quality and where you put those games. And if the Chiefs end up, and I'm about to read the article here, with negative 13 rest edge, as Warren Sharp describes, hey, that's the price of doing business. We are mm-hmm. trying to put the NFL in the best possible circumstances to what? Make money, follow the money. And here's Mm -hmm. what ends up happening for the Chiefs. And this is from Warren Sharp. It's not just that they have less rest in general. They have less rest than their opponent for six straight weeks from weeks 12 through 17. Week 12, they are off a Monday night football game when they play the Raiders. So that's one day less rest. Week 13, they play the Packers who played on Thanksgiving the week prior. So three days less rest. Week 14, The Bills are coming off a bye, seven days less rest. Week 15, they play the Patriots, who are off a Thursday night game, so three days less rest. Week 16, off a Thursday night game uh, is the Raiders, and Casey's off a Monday night game, so that's four days less rest for the Chiefs. And then week 17, they play the Bengals, who are off a Saturday game, uh, but because uh, Casey's off another Monday night game, it's two days less rest. I'm I'm not going to lose sleep, I think, over the one and two days less rest. Right. right. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. These three days with the Packers off of Thanksgiving, the Bills with, coming off there by that's hard to that's hard to consider, too, because every team to us to a certain extent is going to be coming off of by really hard to match the bye weeks. Right. So mm-hmm. I'll throw that one out to uh, Patriots. Um, three days less rest. That's not great. Um, four days less rest and in, uh, going into a division game is, is not great. Um, and then Sharp goes on and says, we one thing to have the third worst net rest edge in the NFL, but for there to be six games in a row where they are dealing with um, most often multiple days rest disadvantage and for them to come late in the season as they do, it's extremely challenging on the Chiefs. I mean, I, again, don't think the NFL did this on purpose. They're trying to make the most money possible. That said, the Chiefs are really going to earn that 14 win season right. this year. Yeah. <laughs> there, there is a a a significant advantage to again, not the really the one to two days, but when you're playing a team like the Bills, who have two weeks to prepare for you as you're preparing for another team, that that's significant. And then these three and four rest days do play into it. So uh, it'll be interesting to see. What happens uh, as we go down the stretch there, if the Chiefs uncharacteristically maybe lose a game to a team 
like the Patriots or the Packers. And I know that those questions will be brought up in, in those circumstances, but it is what it is. And I, and I, and that's where I think I caution fans. It's like, you know, well, the chiefs got the, got a unfair shake and it's like, well, you're the best team in the league now and you're going to have all these premier games and you're going to be put in those spots and it's not going to change. Like that when the NFL makes a, a change like this, when they lean into the schedule to give you the best possible games and the best possible nights, they don't look back. And I, I know that a lot of people will hope that this changes in the future. I think it, it may get worse, quite honestly, as they start to put games on Fridays and Wednesdays and Tuesdays and who knows where it ends up in, in the future. But, John, from a, a specific Chiefs schedule standpoint, you uh, analyze the best and worst games of the schedule. What do you consider of your best games that you did for us at ArrowheadPride.com, the best game on, on the schedule? What are you uh, looking forward to the most as you let this schedule marinate for a few days? Yeah, um, I still I, I still really like the, um, uh, the Cincinnati Bengals game near the end of the season. I know a lot of people are unhappy about that. And in a way it's going to be kind of a problem because if, if for example, the chiefs lose that game, uh, there will be very little opportunity to make it up. Mm -hmm. Whereas if a game like this is early in the season, uh, you've got the whole season to make up that loss if that's the way it falls, but that also makes it a huge game. And uh, I think it's going to be uh, right at the top of everybody's list to watch that week. Um, it's, it's just going to be enormous. And uh, I think it's going to be very exciting to see how it all plays out. Now, of course, having said that, then the Bengals will lose five games in the early part of the season and it won't matter as much, but there'll be some other team that'll have a great game with the chiefs. (laughs) You do have the bills and, and, and the Bengals late. And I, I just think the NFL and look, if you want to be completely fair here, you could even make the case about Kansas City. The NFL is just assuming these teams are going to remain the blue bloods of the mm-hmm. AFC. Right. What if the Bills completely fall off? Like Josh Allen and and that club was showing signs of, is there some smoke here to a, a 500-esque fall off? And when you, you put those games at the end of the season, you're risking a little bit the the idea of are these games still going to be as big as they are right now? I mean, I just got an email and I'm only on the Chiefs ticket thing because this is how they give the media the parking passes. And so I get all the season ticket emails. I just got an email 30 minutes ago. Uh, get tickets for Bills versus Chiefs. Maybe they're highlighting that game because maybe they're not getting a ton of, of action on single game wise for for that particular game. I mean, I'm, I'm just speculating here on random marketing emails, so I, I want to make that clear. But uh, I just <laughs> I wonder if Chiefs and Bills has lost a little bit of juice. I think it has. I think it's a bit, way bigger deal deal for Buffalo fans than it is for Kansas City at this point. So not to say that I think that falls in the category of worst game, but it just feels a lot less important than maybe it did in previous years when the bills were getting as far as the, those Cincinnati Bengals. All right, John, what do you consider some of the worst games of the schedule? Well, um, I, I picked the Raiders in week 12 and the Patriots in week 15. And, and I, uh, this is the problem with these is that you, you choose what looks like the worst teams on the schedule for these and we always get surprised, just as you know, what if the Bills uh, yeah. fall off? What if the Patriots suddenly figure it out uh, with mm-hmm. Mac Jones? Both of those things things seem unlikely to me, but they could happen. And we could really be surprised by another game that turns out to be the, the biggest snoozer. Uh, the Packers would certainly be a, a potential game where uh, 
the Chiefs might actually get uh, flexed out of that game right. on uh, on on Sunday Night Football in Week 13. Um, but you know, knowing what we know, I'd have to go with the Patriots. I think. Yeah, I I I'm with you. I think one of those two games as you mentioned, Packers or Patriots actually ends up getting flexed out because of that. Again, we're, we're looking at these teams right now. I'll remind everybody last year we were in the off season and I saw the Broncos get Russ Wilson. And I said, this is going to be a dog fight for the division. <laughs> so uh, what do I know? Um, I mean, it'll probably be chiefs Raiders for, for all we know at the, at that stage. And maybe chiefs Raiders at that point is a big game. You know, you just never know at this time of year. Now, However, that's precisely why when I do this, I always have a couple of unknown games. And the first right. Broncos game is is one of those this year, because we don't really know how much difference Sean Payton is going to make in that team with Russ Wilson. As we wrap up schedule talk here, I do want to make note of the idea of the Chiefs in, in prime time. And this was enlightening because. John, I'd read like six, seven different articles. Could you have a max of six? Is there a max of five primetime games? Now it's getting even more confusing with the, oh, this is solely mm-hmm. going to be on right. Peacock. I'm sure eventually Paramount Plus will be in the mix to to some extent. So we hopped on this, this NFL call. The NFL was nice enough to invite us, and I was able to find out that the Chiefs have the max scheduled six primetime games, and the opening night is included. We, were, we had questions about that. That is included in the six max. They can be flexed into a seventh, but it's only between weeks 12 and 17 where they already have the two that we mentioned with the Packers and the Patriots. And a lot of people saw the schedule and say, oh, Chiefs, Bills, Chiefs, Bengals. Those will get, get, definitely get flexed to primetime game. I'm here to tell you that there's no chance either game gets flexed to primetime because either the game is going to be so good that CBS is going to protect it, which it can because they're guaranteed a, number, mm-hmm. a certain yeah. number of Chiefs games and, and they'll protect it in that late game slot. Or, as we were mentioning earlier, the unforeseen circumstances where one of these falls off, and in that case, it wouldn't be flexed to primetime because it, it wouldn't matter as much. And so what I would tell you is there's only one possible game on the schedule, John, that, that we feel could be flexed, and that's Chiefs and Raiders in Week 12. But at the same time, it you know you still have that option of, of these networks protecting the Chiefs. And so... I'm here to tell you that I think it's much more likely this year that the Chiefs get flexed out of prime time into maybe five as opposed to getting flexed into seven now that there are these additional rules. And there is a certain mystery to it, too. Uh, we don't for, we don't know for sure how uh, the, the NFL and CBS and Fox has been a little bit coy on the number of games for the number of teams and how mm-hmm. they're working right. on that. But what we do know is there is a certain guarantee for this specific chiefs team. And so I don't, I don't really see any flex happening for this, the chiefs on the schedule. Yeah. I, I think they're going to be reserved for teams that suddenly become good playing another inferior yes. team yeah. who aren't already getting some, some priority for these primetime games. That seems like the most obvious place, but you know, again, we can always be surprised with, with 32 teams, playing 17 games the possibilities for change in in what we expect are limitless pretty much Mm -hmm. and uh so we 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 not only should uh anticipate that we can be surprised we should probably expect to be surprised by what happens in the season i can't wait to be completely wrong about what i just said (laughs) yeah in the prime time somehow 
Um, okay, let's let's say goodbye to schedule, John, and let's let's welcome in salary cap, John, because we're going to talk about Donovan Smith's <laughs> uh, contract. Um, John, you you wrote an article for us this week and simply explaining that the effect on the salary cap uh, is a, a good thing for the Chiefs. Another another Brett Veach win, so to speak. Yeah, uh, this is a very interesting situation because um, on the one hand, you have a guy who's probably going to play right tackle for the Chiefs this year, Jawan Taylor, who, when he was originally signed, was widely presumed to be the guy who was going to play left tackle this year, that they would move him over to left tackle uh, because they were paying him all this money, uh, a four-year, $80 million contract with a lot of money guaranteed. And then after the draft, when they don't get the opportunity to go and get Anton Harrison that a lot of people thought might happen, I was one of those, as a matter of fact, the Chiefs signed a free agent, Donovan Smith, formerly with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who did not have a great season last year. But what that allowed the Chiefs to do was to get him at a really good price. And now it looks like he's going to be at least starting out beginning OTAs as the starter at left tackle. But the Chiefs are going to have a cap hit of only $2.8 million for this player because so much of his contract uh, is set up with incentives. He could earn as much as $9 million this year, but if he does, most of that money is going to count against next year's cap. So it was a great situation for the Chiefs that they could take advantage of a player who did not have a great season last year, but has previously shown that he can play well. That sets up an opportunity for an incentive, what we call an incentive-laden contract that saves the Chiefs a lot of money for a premium position. Yeah, I think what I'm going to do this uh, next offseason, we're talking 2024. I was talking about the future here on the Arrowhead Pride podcast. <laughs> I'm going to mark down all the really good players in the league who get hurt and maybe don't have X amount of snaps. And uh, <laughs> Brett Veach can finagle it so that he can kick the cap cap hit down to the next year because he, he has tended to have what I would call Brett, a Brett Veach special two. And I'm going to use right. a Roman numeral two. So for those of you that uh, <laughs> want to picture this in your head, a Brett Veach special two is when you can take advantage of a previous bum year. Think Juju Smith Schuster, right? Build in incentives. And then the salary cap hit ends up being for the next year. So he's not only trying to go get, former first rounders, what he's trying to do is find ultimate value so that he can use Patrick Mahomes' contract and make sure to try to take care of Chris Jones and save all the money that they possibly can. Really shrewd, I think, business work by Brett Veach, and I think this is just another example. Can't really be too shrewd with the rookie contracts. Rookie contracts are coming in. Every draft pick except for Felix and Aduke Uzama and Rasheed Rice is in uh, at this point, John, there is some leeway with the second round because of negotiating and, and how much gets guaranteed and, and whatnot. So we anticipate ahead of OTAs, which begin next week, that Felix could be done. But just like last year with Sky Moore, maybe the second rounder um, might take a little bit longer as Rasheed Rice looks around the league to see what other wide receivers might get. Yeah, Um there's not a lot of negotiating room in these rookie contracts to begin mm -hmm. with. 
Yeah. But sometimes there there have been a couple of isolated instances where players have held out a little bit because they were arguing over what end up being really small details. But for yeah. to a particular player, they might be very important. And uh, one of those things that they that is a negotiating point is guaranteed money. Uh, one of the things that we're wrestling with this year is that a certain percentage of Clyde Edwards Alaire's uh, money for this fourth season of his contract was guaranteed, which entered into the the discussion about whether or not the team would retain him for his fourth season because he has guaranteed money. That means they can't save as much money if they decide to cut him. So uh, that's the kind of thing that is on the chief's side of the equation down the road. But for the player, they're just joining the NFL. They don't know how long they're going to get to play. They'd like to get as much money guaranteed as possible. And that's only going to tend to happen with picks taken in the first round or two. So I think you're right that uh, that this second round contract may be the one that takes the most time to get done. I feel this uh, just a, a general one-off right here. I, maybe like it's a little bit of a soapbox thing, but the NF, you know what, how like Travis Kelsey is doing this tight end university thing. Get, let's get all the tight ends together. <laughs> the running backs need to do this with the NFLPA and almost find a way in the next CBA to get rid of running backs having to wait for their contract extension because nobody's going to do it. By the time you get to the end of the CBA, I don't see any team saying to themselves, we're going to re-sign our running back unless it's like a Saquon Barkley type. And by the way, he's franchise tagged right now. He can't even figure out. He's the best running back maybe in the league, and he can't even figure out how to get a, another deal done. I, I think from a position to position standpoint, you see every other position maybe in the NFL find a way to get paid. If you're good for those first couple of years, three, four years, look, you're going to get that second contract. Now you're going to make that big money. We're going to get to a point where the running backs are never going to get it un unless you're otherworldly like a Saquon maybe or like a Christian McCaffrey could could maybe get a, a second contract. I think they I think they need to solve that running back position because it's going to get to a point where it's going to be like, why does anyone want to be considered a running back? You, you see that with with Debo Samuel, you, you get beat up and it's hard to make money once you're you reach the end of your deal. Yeah, that's an interesting thought, Pete. I wonder how much of this is just about the ebb and flow of the NFL. You know, there was a time that running backs were a key component of every team. That's become less so in, you know, the last decade or so. But that right. that really started back in the uh, in the 80s when they changed the rules about uh, how you how how defensive backs could defend receivers and that opened up the passing game yeah. that's when it started but it didn't really become a, a a big thing until like the last decade or so but you know now i think we're starting to see the pendulum swing back the other way a little bit because when teams depend a lot on the pass what's going to happen is that some teams are going to find a way to make it work with the run that's just the nature of the game so i see what you're saying and it could play out that way uh, if it continues like it has been. But on the other hand, there's little indicators that that maybe some teams are starting to to swing the other way. And that could, you know, that could change everything about what you're talking about. Well, you're you're right. I mean, I think you can maybe see teams go back to run focus. But I, my point is, like Ezekiel Elliott is still jobless. Leonard Fournette right. and mm -hmm. old yeah. friend Kareem Hunt 
don't have a job right now. Right. Like these are talented backs, but nobody wants to pay running backs in their late twenties, any kind of money. Isaiah Pacheco's ruining that for the position. Like, unintentionally like you're going to perform as well as you possibly can right, right? but mm -hmm. james robinson same thing i know that he's kind of fallen off a little bit but he was a perfect example in, in jacksonville i just i just wonder how the nfl corrects that when it it just seems like the position is so replaceable hell that has been the most or one of the i'm sorry to people who want love to talk about this but that is one of the most annoying conversations in kansas city is the clyde edwards elaire conundrum it's mm -hmm. but it it only stems from you being being able to guy get a guy off the street who can be just as impactful and right. I, I, I don't know how they, I don't know how they fix that other than eventually change the rules for running backs if they care, or maybe they right, won't. right. Well, and that's what happened back in the eighties is that yeah. they felt the game was too boring because it was so dependent on the running game, and there were too many games where the, the final score was you know ten to seven or whatever, and they wanted more scoring and they wanted more excitement, so they changed the rules. And now, you know, at the end of that process, mm -hmm. we have this problem. Will the NFL care enough to adjust the rules of the game? Or will it just be a question of adjusting the rules of the salary cap or uh, the way contracts are written for, for certain kinds of players? I don't know. We'll just, it'll be, it'll it's be really, interesting to see how it's it plays into out. A, it's, it's, pa it's pass only, pass first. It's turned into a variation of NFL street. Which yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I, I don't know if you know, <laughs> John, you're not a big video gamer, but this NFL street thing, what I loved it. It was just so cool. You do flips and it was almost like Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes even existed, where it <laughs> seemed possible that a player could throw a pass between his legs for a touchdown. But it, what a fun game. But yes, I, I agree. I think something will have to give when it comes to running backs. And let's stay in, in the realm of running backs and switch the conversation to fullbacks. Here's an interesting point from Andy Reid on. The New Heights podcast with Jason and Travis Kelsey. Andy Reid had some interesting comments about fullback. This is something we've been talking about for years, the ultra nerdy part of the game here. But Reid said we did a lot of two back stuff back in his days with the Eagles and the Packers. He said there's not a lot of that in the league now. San Francisco would be one of the teams that keeps a, a fullback. The fullback has kind of been uh, eased out of the game a little bit. Andy Reid referencing Kyle Juszczyk, uh, who probably is – I would say the best fullback in the game currently will the chiefs, John putting you on the spot, have a fullback at the 53 man deadline. What do you think? Well, I'm like you, I'm, I'm really afraid to say that Andy Reed won't have one going into the season. Um, it, it was a couple of years ago that you flat out said in the, uh, in your 53 man projection that the chiefs would move away, would finally move away from fullback. And then they um, didn't really dumb. <laughs> Yeah. And uh, so I'm a little reluctant to say one way or the other, but the fact is they don't really have a fullback candidate on the roster right now. That's which true. Su which suggests pretty strongly that uh, the team isn't going to have one. Now that said, they do have a lot of tight end guys on the roster and all along during the years that the chiefs have had fullbacks, fullbacks have been training as tight ends as well. You may recall that, at one time when uh, Travis Kelsey was hurt, Anthony Sherman played as a tight end. The uh, Sherman because, game. Yeah, because he had, uh, you know, he knew all the plays for the tight ends and could could fill in in that position. So why not do it the other way? Have a tight end on the roster who, who uh, fills in as a fullback, comes out and lines up in the backfield and is the lead blocker on a running play, and that gives you an extra tight end 
available without using up a, a roster spot. You know, it'd be pretty easy to have four tight ends on the roster if you uh, have one of them set up to be uh, kind of a, an H-back or a fullback. So I think this might be the year that we finally don't have a real fullback on the team, but I think that function is still going to be there uh, through the use of a, of a tight end. I just did a quick browse, and speaking of 30-year-old running backs slash fullbacks, Derek Watt is still floating around out there. <laughs> if I had to do a 53-man roster today, I would just pencil in Derek Watt. I would say oh, somehow oh, he's okay. going to find All his right. way to St. Joseph and make his way to Kansas City. <laughs> I am not, I'm not putting out a 53-man projection without the fullback. I'm not going to do it. I've done it before, and I'll go as far as to go get a free agent to make sure that he's on, on the roster if I have to do it. <laughs> I, uh, I don't think they'll, they'll say goodbye to the fullback, but right now, it, by default, you would think maybe, maybe that, that's one of the questions I'll burn here at OTAs next week with Andy Reid. What's the deal with no fullbacks on the roster, Andy? This is like a, a 23-year tradition that you're breaking here. That's a, that's an excellent question for Andy next week, I think. couple Chiefs transactions. Should these guys be uh, interesting when it comes to those that 53-man cutdown? You're looking at like players 50 to, to 53. Uh, Matt Dickerson, defensive tackle. Chris Williams, defensive tackle. Defensive back Lamar Jackson brought in. Um, out uh, defensive back Martez Manuel short-lived they put this guy at the podium local guy from Mizzou it seems like he has promised there maybe he's gonna make the safety room interesting see you later goodbye Martez Um, defensive tackle Byron Coart also cut the most interesting one is Dickerson who spent some time in training camp with the, the Chiefs uh, last year, ultimately ended up moving on he's in the 18 UDFA class the other two Williams and Jackson were in the 2020 class uh, these are uh, guys are are you know as we were looking to see will the chiefs sign entities tryout players these are guys all with nfl game day experience it's limited mm-hmm. but look it's more than tryout player off off the road and so just continuing to bolster that depth behind some of the starters i think practice squad candidates to me yeah well that's something that's different now is that the teams can have veteran players on the practice squad which has been expanded up to 16 players for several years now so you've got the opportunity to have some additional reserves so some of the players you're looking at when you have 90 men on the roster are guys who are ultimately going to end up on the practice squad and you might even be saying to them at this point look we want you, we want you to be focusing on what you can do as a practice squad player for us because that's how we're interested in you. And, you know, for some of these players, that's a better deal than sitting on the sofa at home. Uh, mm-hmm. So I, I wouldn't be a bit surprised if this is the way the Chiefs are looking at it. That You'll definitely you'll definitely eat better. The Arrowhead Cafeteria, yeah. I can attest. <laughs> I, there's, a, there's a pizza maker. There's a, a stir-fry bar. You can make shakes. They got bullet <laughs> coffee. Definitely eat better than, than at your home ordering DoorDash, doing whatever job you're doing. So, yes, uh, Gary Dieter would tell you, <clears throat> I think he would st- still rather be practice squatting than pickleballing. But who knows? That'll That's a conversation for him on, on one of his podcasts. All right, John, do we care? Marcus Peters visited the Raiders. Do we care? Nah, I don't care. I really don't. I mean, I'm long since over. The idea that the Chiefs wasted a draft pick on him. These things happen. You you you. You draft a guy and he works out or he doesn't. And sometimes he's a good player who doesn't work out for you. And that's what happened in Kansas City. And I'm I'm totally over being worked up about it. 
I don't think he's one of the greatest players or even maybe one of the greatest defensive backs that we've ever seen, but just as from a ball sniffing ball hawk mentality, mm-hmm. I, yeah, definitely one of the best ball hawks I've ever watched. Um, seems like he's had an injury filled stretch of a, a, a couple of years. I care a little bit. I just think this for, you know, let's say a, uh, let's say the Raiders are spicy. I think this would add some intrigue to that matchup. But as far as we know, at the time we're recording this podcast, 1140-ish on Wednesday, he has not signed there. So maybe it's for so many visits. Marcus Peters is uh, notoriously uh, from Oakland and was a Raiders supporter growing up. So this would be a, a homecoming of, of sorts, even though that they now play in Vegas. But we will see if he lands in the AFC West. And then John, I, I kind of, in this article I did on Richie James, five things to know about wide receiver Richie James, formerly the New York Giants, so Ed Valentine of Big Blue View answered a few questions for us. But uh, as we're examining the money of this wide receiver room, this was in the analysis of it, I think the Chiefs' top four receivers are locks right now, right? You have Kadarius Toney, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Sky Moore, and Rasheed Rice. Hard to argue that any of those players are at any risk Mm -hmm. of not making the 53-man roster. They kept five last year. I think they're going to have to keep six this year, just considering the depth. We know that Justin Watson, and you noted this, John, he has a $1.4 million dead money hit if he's released. The Chiefs would be flushing $500,000 down the toilet if they were to cut Richie James for and Amir Smith-Marset for John Ross, for Justin Ross. So I think unless the Chiefs keep seven receivers, it's going to be hard to picture any of these quote unquote lottery tickets making it. But if there's ever going to be, a, I think, a player cut, it would be James. But Brett Veach tried to trade from him in the past. Are, are we making, I think, I think I, I come down to this question. Are we making a bigger deal out of these possible receivers breaking through than what's the writing on the wall where it's just simply going to be Marquez Valdez, Scantling, Sky Moore, Tony? rice watson and then james yeah i don't know i i think it's possible they could even end up keeping seven wide receivers yeah because they've got so many guys who could be contributors yeah Yeah. i think they've done it once before since i've i've covered the team and and that may be that may be the the final nail in the coffin of the fullback on the roster actually so what about that we just talked about him come on yeah i know but i'm but they may consider a play, you know, they may, it's hard to know how the Chiefs feel about Justin, uh, Justin Ross. I mean, I get why fans are very excited about him. And in a way I am too. I kind of join them because this is just exactly the kind of move that the championship team needs to make is to find these players that aren't drafted uh, but have the potential to be to be great players and you know find a way to make them work for your team. This is exactly what a, a general manager of a championship team has to do. So it's great to consider the possibility that Ross could be one of those guys. But of course, the problem with these moves is that they're high risk. They might not work out. You don't mm-hmm. have to invest much in this case. Certainly an undrafted free agent contract isn't a big deal, but they could end up, Using a roster spot spot on a on a player like Justin Ross this year just because they see his his potential, so maybe it could end up being a seventh wide receiver. I don't know. This is going to be a very interesting thing to watch during training camp. I think. 
I pulled up my reference as you were chatting, John. The Chiefs have not kept seven wide receivers under Andy Reid. Uh, six has been the max. A couple of years of five mixed in. It's mostly been six. So yeah. this, but would in be all those years there was a full. Yeah, but yes. in all those years there was a fullback, right? Yeah. So maybe there's <laughs> a a weapon. Yeah, if you get rid of the fullback, you can keep an extra weapon, whether that be a running back, a tight end, or a mm-hmm. wide receiver. So maybe this yeah. is where we finally see the seventh wide receiver uh, spot. It uh, should be interesting. I think it's going to make for a very interesting 53-man deadline if there is no fullback because you're going to have to place it it's somewhere. And so you wonder how the Chiefs would, would make up for that. Uh, it's uh, one of those deep things worth monitoring as we get into the offseason and training camp. And speaking of the offseason next week, John, organized team activities (laughs) as we were talking about at the top of the show and to get ready for OTAs we're going to bring Steve Serta in and have an OTA question roundtable that's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show we welcome in our wonderful Arrowhead Pride podcast producer Steve Serta he's gearing up for vacation tell everybody where you're going Steve um, I am going to go to the mountains in Colorado. I don't actually really, mountains. I don't really nice. know where we're camping. Um, my we friends may not see Steve there. again is, is what I'm hearing. Yeah. <laughs> my friends live there. And so we do this every year. We go on like a five day camping trip or whatever. And he kind of books all of the stuff. I just show up and go camping and let them figure out all the details of it. You know, I know that, uh, Quite obviously, a lot of Chiefs fans dislike the the Denver Broncos. But as far as rival cities, I, I always felt like this on you know growing up on the East Coast about Boston. You hate the teams, but damn, Denver's a nice city. And so, same thing with Boston. I I really enjoyed visiting Boston in those times. I you know you were going to those Yankee Red Sox games or, or whatever you did. Uh, Denver's a, a very cool place to to visit breweries and hiking and and whatnot. And I I I tend to sometimes compare Kansas City to Denver when you when you're talking about the cities that are like up and coming second tier cities. I, I wouldn't be stunned if, if you see a migration at Kansas city at some point here, John, you got something you're, you're itching to say something, John, what? I, I, I was going to say, who are you? <laughs> yes. <laughs> who are you, Pete? Yeah, I, that's right. I thought Denver, I knew you were in a good town. It is. Yeah. <laughs> that we can well, agree on. I think you don't have to like the Broncos, you know, to, to, to enjoy Denver. You can, well, I've been to Denver several times and it's, and it's, I don't know how I would, uh, could argue against it because it is a beautiful city and they've got some great things happening there. I just don't, I'm upset enough by the rivalry that I just don't want to accept that. I guess it's all I'm saying. Yeah. I'm only Come spending on. one night. In no. Denver. <laughs> I go to Denver, Can't sleep there first night, and then we go camping the rest of the time. Then I come home to the airport. That's let's it. let's make sure that we curb this by saying the incomplete chance is, is the worst chance in sports. I mean, it is. It, there's nothing worse than the incomplete <laughs> chance. So we we've we've brought this equilibrium of the Arrowhead Pride uh, podcast back, um, you know, to 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 glory here. Okay, let's get into OTAs. Uh, this is starting next week. We know that OTAs begin. I'm gonna let me get my day right here. Uh, they actually begin on Monday, um, May 22nd. Uh, they run three days a week. These first three weeks, May 22nd to the 24th, May 30th to June 1, and June 6th to the 9th. They're voluntary, so sometimes you you don't see um, players uh, at these certain weeks. I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, this one of the weeks is usually Patrick Mahomes golf tournament. So even Mahomes isn't there on one of the, 
the weeks, what we've seen in, in recent years. Um, there is a mandatory mini camp from June 13th to the 15th. We have media. So the next time you'll hear from Andy Reid is a week from today. And this is a good time to tell you because of me being at the one media uh, opportunity per week that we get next Wednesday and then the uh, press conference after we'll actually have the Arrowhead Pride editor show on Thursday of next week. So keep that in mind. If you're looking for it in your podcast feeds, it will pop up on Thursday, not Wednesday. Uh, Steve, uh, it will be off, I believe, but we'll make sure they get the from the podium going. Kramer is going to help us out on the, the editor show. So we're looking forward to seeing what is finally this full 90 man roster next week and going into OTAs. I think we all have a, a number of, of questions. And so we're going to go in a, a circle here. Let's go counterclockwise and we'll start with John. Uh, John, what is your first burning question of OTAs? I think the tight end question is right up there. I think you've already hit on this. I'm, I'm just going to go right along with you there that this would be an excellent question to get answered is whether or not the Chiefs intend to uh, have a tight end on the team, uh, not a tight end, a fullback on the team uh, this year. Did I say tight end all the way through that? You okay. were you were uh, starting, yeah. You you said tight end, <laughs> but that's because we heard already addressed fullback on the show. And right, you are, right. You're suggesting the Chiefs fullback is Blake Bell, um, from what I can tell at this right. stage, right? Uh, or a player like him, yeah, somebody who can who can function effectively as a lead blocker, and that's probably Blake Bell in this instance. Um, so, or maybe some other guy. They've got a couple other tight ends on the roster as well. So I think that'd be a very interesting thing to address with with Andy Reid uh, that we've already covered on the show. Steve, uh, since since John and I have just beaten this fullback horse to a pulp, do you have any <laughs> other commentary on the, the fullback situation? Um, no, I, I mean, I, I agree. I think Blake Bell could easily just be a fullback. Um, I, I think the other tight ends they have, they can rotate in and it's fine. Uh, All right, let's go to your first question then. What is your first OTA question? Um, for me, it's really just kind of about the defensive line. And like, as you mentioned, these are voluntaries, at least the first part of them are. So, you know, I I don't know if we're necessarily going to see the chief stars there, but one guy that I would expect to see there is Charles Amenahu because he's a free agent acquisition and coming into a new team. Like you kind of expect even those veteran players, even at the voluntary stuff to kind of just show up and, start getting used to the way that organization runs things. And I'm just curious to see what his role really is because Brett Beach has said that he thinks of him as a defensive tackle. He's a guy in San Francisco who played inside and outside. And we know that Mike Dana did that for them last season. So I'm just curious if they're really just going to plug him in the middle or if he is going to be kind of an inside outside guy. And we probably won't get a ton of answers on that. I just want to see how they start deploying him out of the gate. Yeah, I think that's a, a good point. And to piggyback off that one, just in general, when you talk about the defensive line, will Chris Jones be there, right? Is Chris Jones so annoyed that maybe contract negotiations that we're not hearing about this time around, um, I, there's not been a new deal, you know, as far as we know, is he still just going to show up to, to OTAs? I tend to think he will, but I think you do have that slight wonder as to whether or not this is, is bothering him. And sometimes even when you don't see a tweet or you don't see a comment publicly you can tell that it's not in a good place if if they don't show up to to otas one thing i do know john is we are not really allowed to talk to andy Reid because these are voluntary as he will remind us for any veteran that is missing um they are not obligated under contract to be there 
Right. And he'll he'll be certain to remind us when we get to those questions. I would just point out that, um, you know, yes, Chris Jones has tended a couple of times not to be at OTAs when there's a contract negotiation going on. But I don't think a guy who is every day tweeting that the Chiefs should re-sign Frank Clark is a guy who's going to be missing any practice time. Right. I'm just I'm just thinking that that's a kind of gives us a different view into what Chris Jones is thinking is at this point. I tend to agree with you that Jones can, can, might actually a, be there. Look, I'm a I'm a big Chris Jones fan. Big Chris yeah, Jones fan. Yeah. He's excellent. All pro yeah. all these years. The Chiefs need him if they're going to repeat. Yada yada. Can someone let him know that the sooner he signs his contract, the sooner there'll be well, space for Frank Clark? Like, right, doesn't that have right. to, doesn't one have to happen before the other? I Duh. understand you're doing a Twitter campaign. <laughs> well, and to John's point, I I do think that the conversations that they're having around this extension are a lot more positive than the conversations yeah. that we're having around the last extension. Like right. Chris Jones was legitimately upset and probably deservedly. So last time he was up for extension and it had to get drawn out because they couldn't come to terms on a deal. It does not seem like that's the case this, this time around. And Brett beach has mentioned multiple times, like they're working on it. They're trying to get it done. So it seems like it's going to get done, but the later we get into the summer that this thing's not done, then you got to start to worry a little bit. Sure. I'm just, I'm just curious about this one. I, we've talked about it a little bit in the past. Uh, we don't need to get into a whole conversation about the Jones contract, at least on this show. But 28 years old, really entering that window where Brett Beach doesn't love to pay because you got to imagine he would want a three or four deal bringing him that age 32 season. Is this finally the outlier that has the Chiefs pivot from – you know, their, their general strategy in these particular situations I, you never know. I, we were in a place right where Tyron Matthew kept coming up and you're like, Oh, the chiefs will definitely find a way to make sure that Matthew's here. Yeah. And it didn't happen. You know, it yeah. didn't happen. So it, it is, it is a, a place of intrigue for me. Um, my initial question has to do with the uh, running back position. Isaiah Pacheco, to my knowledge, is not going to participate in this camp. Uh, so my question is, is Clyde Edwards-Elair going to be taking the first reps at running back? I tend to think yes. And so I'm very eager to see, uh, how they operate. I know that during generic Prince, the UDFA will be in the mix. I know that Jerry McKinnon will be in the mix, but it comes to that early down back. Isaiah Pacheco is watching on the sidelines. It's gotta be Clyde, right? It's gotta be. Right. I think that actually, in fact, uh, later later on today, there will be an article where I express this opinion on arrowheadpride.com. I actually think that Edward Zilaire is the backup for both mm. Pacheco and McKinnon. Spicy. Because, because he's got the, the, the ability to, to run between the tackles. He's got the ability to catch the ball on third down. Um, you know, not to the same extent either one of those other players. That's why he's the backup. But this is not going to be a situation where uh, I don't think is going to be a situation where Edwards Alaire is out there getting snaps, significant snaps in every game. I think he's on the roster specifically to be a backup player, much like Ronald Jones was last yeah. season. And in his case, I think it's going to be a backup to both of the players who will be getting significant snaps. That is Pacheco and McKinnon. Yeah, and I, I think you're spot on with that. And the biggest thing with Clyde is his pass blocking too. Like, right? Jack McKinnon is a spectacular pass blocker. Clyde is not. Like, right. yeah, there's right. a there's a reason they don't deploy him that way. Right. Yeah, right. I agree. I 
Uh, and look, you, you got to remember too. That, I mean, we should preface this, and I probably should have said it before we started with our questions. This is generally a passing camp. There's no hard hitting, and so you can only take so much from this. But there are some intriguing questions that we're going to be at least trying to to monitor. Steve, uh, Steve, we'll snake back around uh, <laughs> to you, and then John, and then I will uh, close it up. Um, I, I know you guys have talked wide receivers a lot, but this is going to continue to be the biggest thing that I'm paying attention to this off season and through workouts. And once we get into training camp, it, it's just kind of how they deploy these guys. And I know, you know, it's deep right now. There's a lot of bodies and you guys were talking about like them actually carrying seven wide receivers, which I, I think they will as insurance this year. Because there's never been this many question marks in that wide receiver room. So it, it's really just about how they're going to deploy these guys and who it seems like. Like we know MVS is going to be a starting wide receiver. And then is it Tony and Sky Moore or is Richie James like, is he looking that good that he's going to find his way into like a starting role as a wide receiver? We know Justin Watson's not that guy. And then you add in Rasheed Rice, Justin Ross, and, and just all the bodies that they have. Like, I, I'm just curious to see how those guys are in the mix. And we've got so many questions about the wide receiver room as a whole, or at least I do, that it's going to be what I'm paying attention to most this summer with the Chiefs. And it's not even close to like anything else. Yeah, I think for me, it's how do they fit into roles? Uh, more of a training camp question for me. Like, who's the new McCole Hardman? Because you know, I tend to think that Sky more because they were training him, you know, to be that who's the new mm -hmm. Juju, yeah. right? Is right. that the Rasheed Rice role? Um, my question more for OTA is that, you know, as I'm going to be watching next Wednesday is, is can Rasheed Rice breathe a little bit better? I, we had mentioned during our, our recap that he <laughs> was a little bit winded. Andy Reid was open with that um, in, in a special Andy Reid way to not criticize him too much publicly. But I, I think there had to be some conditioning these past 13, 14 days since rookie, uh, mini camp, John. Yeah, uh, I'm also interested to know uh, how they are viewing the defensive line. I think that's a, a good question as we go into things. I don't think we're going to learn a lot during OTAs, yeah, because they're not going to be you know hitting during this thing. But uh, I'd really, I'm very intrigued by this positionless defensive line that we keep hearing about. Yeah, and I really feel like the Chiefs are moving very close to being exactly where they want to be to run this kind of a line and i'm 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 very intrigued by it and i think it could end up being a a very significant thing towards the success of the defense this season so i'm i'm very interested in 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 that particular aspect of the defense yeah i i think that is worth wondering about i i think that plays into steve's point about amenahu and where he's going to line up i think mm -hmm. just in general where these defensive players are lining up is intriguing to me i'm always curious about the inside outside versatility of like legerius sneed and trent mcduffie i know that they've wanted to maybe have sneed be that lockdown island guy we saw a little bit of that you know especially toward the end of last year uh, are they going to continue going in, in that direction and, and having Trent McDuffie be more of that inside guy where you stick Snead on the best and tallest receiver that the other team has? Um, but more of an extension to that point, to to squeeze two questions into one, how the hell does Drew Tranquil <laughs> fix into, the, into yeah. that mix? Mm -hmm. Because you had a scenario where I think the Chiefs were pretty comfortable with um, Nick Bolton and, and Willie Gay. And before they knew it you know drew tranquil just became available they thought he was a good player and said in in a sense it you know my understanding was why not 
take the leading tackler on the rival Chargers and throw him into this mix, and maybe he's a, a better guy in coverage than Willie Gay or Nick Bolton, and maybe he eats up some of those snaps, and I think where he lines up in um, OTAs will just be the beginning of that conversation that will extend uh, to training camp. So. I think he's a backup guy, but I think he's a backup guy that gives Steve Spagnuolo uh, an opportunity to apply some creativity to the second level of the defense that he hasn't had up until this point. The fact that he can be play the Mike linebacker position gives uh, Spagnuolo the opportunity to take uh, Bolton off the field to rest him. You know, this is, they, they always want to rest the defensive linemen and rotate them in and out. But Bolton has been on the field for every snap the last, the last season, certainly. And I wonder if they'd like to give him a little time off and Tranquil gives them that opportunity to do that I, and, and do some other things perhaps in place of gay I, on certain I, plays. So this could be very interesting too. There was also a period last year where the, the biggest uh, chief's Twitter question was what is Darius Harris doing out there when we have Willie gay? <laughs> I think it's now the answer is like, we have a better quality player there to give gay yeah. some reps off. Sure. I'm curious to see how Leo Chanel fits into all of this, but Drew yeah. Tranquil is a, a he's a talented, like super athletic linebacker who can do multiple things for you, and that's the exact guy you want backing up your starters because he can come in and play multiple sure. positions. Yeah, right. No, exactly right. All right, thank you to Mountain Man Steve for his contributions here <laughs> in the <laughs> in the OTA questions. We're gonna wrap up with our flash poll. Uh, John, this was my poll question today, and I, I think this will make everyone laugh who's really been a, a constant listener of the uh, Art Pride Editor Show. Let's say you're headed up to Chiefs training camp today. Which of the following players would you be most excited to watch? Travis Kelsey, Patrick Mahomes, Kadarius Tony, or Justin Ross? John, who ended up first in this poll? Oh, I, I would think that it would have to be Justin Ross. I just, uh, yeah, I'd have to think that. Wrong. I might be wrong. wrong. But I, that's what I think. Only Patrick Mahomes could fight off the Justin Ross hype train. <laughs> As it turns out, 41.8% of you said Mahomes. But Kadarius Tony, one of the proven most exciting players in the NFL when he's healthy, 22%. Travis Kelsey, the greatest tight end possibly in Chiefs and NFL history. Sorry to that infamous Atlanta Falcon. He comes only in at 6%. Justin Ross, 29.8% behind Patrick Mahomes. I think it's fair to say, if you take Mahomes out of it, most people are excited to see Justin Ross this training camp. I And it's real. I, I, I didn't put him among rookies. I stacked them up against probably the most popular and exciting Chiefs here, John. And uh, you can't stop the Ross high train. You can only hope to contain it. <laughs> well, there's no question that people are excited about this player. And I think that's fine. And I, I as I, you know, expressed before, the reasons why the Chiefs have got him are, are good and solid reasons. And if he turns out being somebody who can contribute, even in a small way, um, it's going to be an amazing signing for the Chiefs. But we just have to see him do that, which we haven't yet. This is a message to me that as much as I have my doubts on Ross and as much as I feel like we should be more excited about a Richie James who had a breakout season or Justin Watson, who has earned the trust of the quarterback, the people have spoken and I'm a man of the people. I try to be uh, the people's champ and I'm going to ask questions about Justin Ross. I'm going to take videos of Justin Ross. We are going to have 
Justin Ross podcast content. I'm going to make sure <laughs> Steve is on that. Uh, it's going to be jo- Justin Ross mania this summer until he is uh, eventually either cut or is, as we described in this podcast today, the seventh man on, on this roster, John. Or the or the first man or the number one wide receiver is a lot of Chiefs fans. Yeah. Think the I, I the put Travis the Kelsey one. and Kadarius Tony on the pole and <laughs> Ross beat them out. He beat him out. <laughs> if you like the Airhead Pride Podcast Network, stay tuned. Make sure you subscribe uh, on all the ways that you get your podcast, be it Spotify or Apple iTunes. Or otherwise, we will keep you updated as we get into OTAs next week. We'll have uh, content um, establishing what should be a really important offseason for your reigning Super Bowl champion uh, Chiefs. If you like the Airhead Pride Podcast Network, you can leave us a rating and a review. If you leave us five stars, we'll read it right here on the Airhead Pride Podcast Network on the Editor Show. Remember, the Editor Show will be next Thursday, not Wednesday. And I'll be coming off um, what I imagine will be a sweat-filled back watching OTAs uh, on Wednesday uh, on the field at Arrowhead. And I'll have some some takes to share with you guys. If you enjoyed the 2022 season, my book's available, twitter.com slash pgsween. There's a link up. Uh, thank you to Steve for producing this bad boy. Thank you to John for joining me. Uh, my name is Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief of arrowheadpride.com. Thank you for joining us on another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. 